fans, teachhoops.com slash 816basketball has all the resources that you need to be a better coach, period. Today's basketball coaches are dedicated, year-round workers who face fierce competition to keep their jobs. And excellent instruction is out there, but finding it is inconvenient, unorganized, and it can be hit or miss. So visit teachhoops.com slash 816basketball. Sign up for the free trial. You're going to want to go past that free trial. We guarantee it. And be sure to join our good friend Billy Kegler on the Competitive Mindset Podcast where guests share how they differentiate themselves and achieve high levels of performance through the lens of motivation, competitiveness, and mindset. Join along on the journey to lifelong learning and improved performance with the Competitive Mindset Podcast. Follow on social media at Competitive Pod. Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio. Thank you, Brian. Pleasure to be here as always on the Greatest Games Podcast. A chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest game. As always, it can be their time as a head coach, an assistant coach, a college coach, a high school coach, whatever level, just the game they consider to be their greatest. Well, yet again, we are going back to New Jersey, and I, I, I have questions, and I, I'm really needing some answers here. We're going to Ewing, New Jersey, but that's not a town. It's not a city. It's not a metropolis. It is, according to Google, an unincorporated community, but the College of New Jersey assistant coach, Matt Kittner, welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast. Can somebody help me out and tell me what an unincorporated community is, please? <laughs> well... I am excited to be here, but I will talk a lot about basketball. Don't know much about corporations, unincorporations, or any communities involved, but I know TCNJ is in Ewing. <laughs> I didn't know Ewing. I thought Ewing was a town. I mean, I've known Ewing my whole life, but I, I just Ewing thought it was township. a town. Okay. Ewing township. It's, so it's right. It's, it's Trenton. Living. See, yeah. again, when I was growing up, Brian, TCNJ was Trenton State College. So I know it as Trenton State. This TCNJ thing is all oh. wacky. Yeah, I'm trying to get huh. the TCNJ, like Ohio State tries to go. I'm trying to get that going, but so far it's just me. <laughs> well, we'll, 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 right. we'll back it right here. Let's, you heard it here first, you know. Um, Brian, so we're excited to have Matt Kittner. Matt Kittner is a native of Bergen County, New Jersey, where I grew up. He grew up in the next town over, Bogota, New Jersey. And he's had the distinct pleasure of playing against and for some former guests on the Greatest Games podcast, I'm just going to run through the list here. He played against Episode Three's Dan Egaro, I believe, right? You played against Coach Egaro. Yeah, we graduated both in 2006. He's Cresco. That was our rival. So okay, you, you played against Coach Stephen Herget. Guarded him too. Love guarded Steve. him from. He played at Elmwood Park High School. Now coaches Park. at Leonia. Yep. Did you play against Anthony Gallo? When he was in high school, or was he a little bit younger than you? He was at Saddlebrook. Saddlebrook. He was at Saddlebrook yeah, with the um, with the Maneri brothers. Uh huh. Okay, a little younger than me. Yeah. Okay, a little bit younger. And you played for Coach. Uh, I can't remember his name now. What number episode was he, Brian? We just said it before the podcast. Talking about about in college. Oh, in college, yeah. Yeah, oh, I played for Coach, Coach Pete Coach Marion when Coach he was Pete Marion at Fairleigh Dickinson University, Florida. Yep. And I have efforted. Matt Kittner's high school coach, who I know, but he's an old, he's an older gentleman, and computers and stuff scare him. So, but we're still trying to get Coach Jay Mahoney on the podcast. I'll see what I can do, man. I'm I'm really gonna try just because I need to listen to Coach talk again for you know 
35, 45 minutes. I can never get enough. Brian, Coach Jay Mahoney is a lot like our buddy Dave Odom when we had on the podcast. All we have to do is say hello and then just let Coach Mahoney yeah. go. <laughs> Great. I love it. I mean, can he use a phone? Can we, we have all sorts of I'm technology. I'm not even sure if Coach can use a phone. Um, Matt doesn't want to no confirm or that. deny that. Can't confirm or deny. I don't want to speak for him, but I'll see what I can do on my end. I'll see if there are any strings I can pull behind the scenes. I got Koningsberg on my staff, and I can't get Mahoney on. He's tough man, He's <laughs> tough guy to get in contact. Man. <laughs> but anyway, Matt, why don't you take us through your journey? It started as we talked about playing for Coach Jay Mahoney at Pagoda High School. But take us through your journey in basketball and how you got to where you are today. Sure. So I was very fortunate to play for. Coach Mahoney. So Brian, you know, we'll probably talk a lot about him, but uh, an absolute legend in the state. Um, and then if you get into the county, uh, even more so, you know, as, as the scale gets smaller. And I'm from a real small town. So those familiar with Pagoda will know what I'm talking about. And those that don't, best way I can describe it is my graduating class was about 75 kids. So it's a very small town, um, but it's rich in, in the history of sports and basketball specifically because of Coach Mahoney. So I was very fortunate to play uh, in the program for four years, two years um, focused more so on the varsity and, you know, really enjoyed my time there, had a lot of wins under him and, and a great personal career. And then uh, I went to, as I said before, Fairleigh Dickinson University, Florham, and I was a walk-on to that team in my sophomore year. I tried out in my freshman year, did not make it. Um, ended up getting surgery on my shoulder because I had everything. I had torn everything in my right shoulder. And I got surgery in February, February 23rd of whatever year that was, so 2007 or so. Uh, and then I was able to recover fully, tried out, got an opportunity to try out, and Pete gave me the chance to be on the team. And the abridged version is I kind of played every role. I was, you know, really just a practice guy in the beginning, um, got spotty minutes early on in the season and turn those minutes into more minutes, had a stint where I was starting for a little while, and then kind of stayed as a rotation player uh, for two years that I played there, transferred to the sister college, Fairleigh Dickinson University uh, Metropolitan, which is in Teaneck, right near where Chris and I grew up. Uh, and I was living at home my senior year, and that's when I started coaching. Um, I was actually the head coach of the freshman boys team at Pagoda, and I was uh, an assistant for Coach Mahoney for one year. Uh, at that time on the varsity level, went to law school for a year. And my one line with that is always that the thing I learned the most in law school was how much I miss basketball and how badly I wanted to coach. So I, uh, at the end of that summer, I moved back home uh, to Jersey and it's where coach Konigsberg comes in, who became the JV coach at the time uh, prior to me. And then I guess at that time might've went to Saddlebrook because that was what opened up the opportunity for me to become the JV coach. And I was able to do that for, I believe it was six years straight from that time. Um, and then from there, I applied to, I think like realistically, like 60 to 70 jobs for whatever the college level was all across the country. I really was just, I really wanted to get into college coaching and I got a great opportunity at Penn State University, Abington which is where I've spent the past three seasons. And then I just keep talking about opportunity. I'm sure it'll be a theme, but yet again, I'm like thrilled about this new opportunity that I just took and I'm, I'm back home. I'm coaching at the college of New Jersey now. So 
that's point A to point B, I believe, with a lot of little twists and turns in between. So you mess up your shoulder. Um, and I'm, I'm so, so curious as to what, I don't know exactly how to answer this question. I'm a, I'm a podcast co-host and I don't know how to answer a question or ask a question that in that, and that's something. Um, but it has something to do with belief in yourself. Uh, even that piece of the answer right there, sending the letters out to 70 universities, trying to get into college coaching. But what had you believing that you've messed up your shoulder, you've gotten cut, but you know what, I'm going to try out again. And I'm going to make it this time around. Like what, what was it about you and maybe even your upbringing that had you saying, Oh no, this is going to happen. Um, That's going to happen. I, I think the simple way to put it is just that I didn't even have that as the goal. My relationship with basketball even at that time, I was truly believing that I was never going to play. But my relationship with the game just had not diminished. I was still absolutely infatuated and in love with basketball. And my rehab was to get back to just do that, whatever that meant. And I, and I think the probably quick little fun tidbit in there was the doctors said it could be like four to six months, you know, recovery time. I got it on February 23rd. I know that intramurals in college are in the spring and my brother played on an intramural team. My brother went to the same college I did. He's two years older than me and he couldn't make it to a game. And this must've been in May. And I went and played in the game at that time. Like I, I was definitely not listening to the doctor. So kids, if you listen to me, any, any young kids do not take my advice on this part. Do not go through the whole rehab. This is not the story. This is not the part of the story. That's like the heroic part. It was dumb. But whatever. I, I was just obsessed. I was going to get back. The opportunity really came. It, it was stars aligning. I was very close with one of the best players on the team. And he had a good relationship with the head coach enough to the point where he convinced Pete to at least give me an opportunity to go to open gyms, play with the team. Then they were in a numbers issue situation at that time, if I remember correctly. And my conversation with Pete, man, he's always an honest guy. You guys talk to him, you know. He told me straight up, he said, I really need guys for practice. And you have to work your tail off every single day. Might be thankless, but that's what I need. And my only question was, do I get to like travel with the team? Do I get to like be part of the team? And he said, yes. And um, I guess being a little vulnerable here, the rest of this, that night story is I went back to my dorm. I didn't know what to do with myself. And I walked around campus, freezing that night. I walked around campus just like crying of just sheer joy that I was part of a basketball program again with my mindset being I'm part of the practice team. I'm just practicing. So that's that's what it is, is that my relationship with the game was beyond whatever the opportunity was. So I'm willing to work for whatever those are. That is an, uh, an interesting way of putting it that no one has put it so far we're at episode i don't know 80 something um his relationship with the game i like that i really that like the way the way you said that the passion about what you speak about that like it, it, because we talk a lot on this podcast about relationships and we and we usually mean relationships with people and developing those relationships and that's how the opportunities come along but the relationship with the game that is like really that you're just like really like struck me with that i don't know what it is Oh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. 
Yeah, it, it takes me back to the Phil Martelli episode, episode 69, talking about just the love of the game. That's what I hear in that too, Matt. I love that. It's just that you love the game. It wasn't anything. Even my question was was off target. It's like, no, I love the game, so I just want to get back and play the game. And, oh, by the way, I made the team, but, like, I just love the game. And so, um, you know, I just – anyway, I, I'm with you I, that I appreciate that. And, and one of the things that I tell young guys, when I evaluate players – I'm looking for some of that edge, which is so hard to find, right? Like that's, it's difficult. You're looking in the margins, but I, if I were to simplify that relationship concept, because I think deeply about this stuff, it really is personal and and meaningful to me. I kind of evaluate that relationship on three levels, which is you like playing and you're good at it, or you love the game and you're very good at it, or you live it. And it's, it's truly your decisions in your life revolve around you putting yourself in the opportunity to be the best version of yourself for that purpose because you live it. So what you eat, what time you're going to sleep, the decisions you make about the people you keep in your life, these are the, the habits and the decisions that reveal your priorities. I believe I, I, that quote is almost directly the similar directly the same as um coach chuck mcbreen brian when we had him on early on the podcast he said sort of the same thing about like you know he coached at ramapo college i'm sure you know coach mcbreen and uh you know like who you're hanging out with what time you're going to bed like you know are you getting to practice on time all that stuff man it all matters it all matters and and what is your priority like if you want to be in school and party and that's fine that's fine do that Yep. But then don't be part of this team because sure. you and even so let's say you're part of it don't pretend to play a character where you're all about it be honest about it so that we know what we're working with and that we know where to trim the fat if necessary because the fact is is that the sport itself is not equal opportunity nor are the opportunities that come within it so it really is and this is coming from a guy who kind of felt the pain of I tried out I didn't make it I'm never going to play I know what the privilege element is that comes with the opportunity to play. It's not just about college. It can be for young players as well. If you do not do the things that you need to do, then you can't be too shocked when you don't get what you want. So Brian, our, our old mentor, Dave Odom, always said, you can't what? You can't cheat the game. You can't cheat the game. And Ricky Duckett would say you can make your mouth say anything. And, this, you know, it's just the, the thing is, like you say, Coach, it's just just be honest about it. Just, well, I'm going to put in that work. Well, you know, look look at the – I had a buddy of mine tell me this this quote the other day. I haven't heard this one ever before. Um, Pay attention to the tongues in the shoes rather than the tongue in the mouth. What are, what are they doing? Are they going to the gym? Are they getting shots up? Or are they just talking about it? And it's okay if they just want to talk about it and not do it. Just be honest with yourself and maybe go – play some other sport or go do something else. It's okay if you don't want to be good at basketball, but if you say it, go do it. Indeed. Couldn't agree more. So, Coach, I do want to talk about Coach Mahoney because, obviously, for me, growing up in Teaneck and, and growing up here in Bergen County and, and knowing guys that played for him, I actually played uh, CYO ball at St. Joe's. My family was – we were St. Joe's parishioners. So, I, I played with uh, with Ryan and Chris Clark and Mikey Callahan and, and all yeah. those guys. I, I grew up playing with those guys. Um, talk about Coach Mahoney as a mentor. Again, for those people out there who don't know, he is a Jersey legend. He's going into his 42nd season coaching. He has, I don't know, 670 wins, something like that, somewhere in that range, multitude of state titles. And 
Talk about his mentorship and what he's meant to you in your career, in your life, and just all that encompasses Coach Mahoney for you. Sure. Um, I'm glad that Zoom took away the limits because we're about to be on for the next like nine hours or so. But (laughs) uh, uh, I'm kidding. But I I will try my best to kind of just give the abridged version because he is so impactful in not only my life, but the lives of so many of these students that he's had, players that he's had. And it's difficult to sum up, but I like to sum it up in a couple of lessons that he taught me that I've been able to translate throughout my life to different elements of my life. The most important one, and I'm going to stick with the theme of relationships, not being with people, my relationship with failure. So we talked about, I sent out what, 70, you know, things. Well, I have to do the same thing when I'm recruiting. I'm going to talk to, let's say 70 kids. I'm not getting a class of 70. So there's failure in the elements all around athletics, basketball, whatever, what have you. I still have, well, you know, Chris, you know, Mahoney's voice rings in many people's ears, but his messages are what really ring in mind. But I still hear his voice from the Bogota gym in the summer going into my senior year when I took the biggest leap and we were having summer camp and I'm trying every single day I'm showing up at seven in the morning, getting shots up, doing drills, getting ready for the the five on five games, everything. I'm doing everything he says. And then the games would start in the afternoon and, you know, surprise to nobody. I'm not making every single shot I'm making. I'm turning it over at times. I'm failing like every basketball player does. And he would just constantly remind me, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. It comes with the process. Keep going. Keep going through it. You are going to fail. And he wasn't always like messaging that in all elements of your life. That would be pretty negative. But the reminders when it would kind of hit me in the moment. Okay, I'm used to this. I'm going to fail. Yeah, I'm going to fail. Get through it. That translates to so many things of just understanding that in any of the accomplishments you're trying to have, if they're meaningful enough to you, if they're challenging enough, failure will be part of the process. So your relationship with it, how you deal with it, and coach, coach, I, I don't mean to interrupt you about that failure, but I think I said on another podcast. I have a board in front of me on my desk here, and I have a quote that I pinned up on this board six or seven years ago, right after the Golden State Warriors won their first NBA title, mm-hmm. and they were interviewing one of the owners, a guy named Peter Goober, who was a Hollywood producer and part owner of the team. And they said, when you bought the team, you know, you guys had won 18 games or whatever, you know, how did you know that you would get to a championship level? And the quote here is failure is an inevitable partner on the road to success is what he said on the radio that day. I wrote it down. It's been on my board ever since. I love that. And I have been trying in so many ways over my years of coaching, which is now a decade, trying to translate that message to my younger, you know, counterparts in so many different metaphors of something that will always be there in your life that you learn to appreciate when you can identify it as a healthy element to what your path is. So that's, that was an important message for me from him. Another thing that he's just instilled in me is whatever you do. And I do really think this translates beyond basketball. 
If you're doing something that has any element of importance to you or to a grander purpose, maximize your potential. Without excuses, maximize your potential. And if you're not on that path to do that, then this goes back to what we said. What can you really talk about? Can you really talk about what you want? Your habits end up revealing that. So I I guess how that translated to me, and this is where I'll kind of tie it into just an element of how it's worked in my life. And this is where Mahoney, years and years after I played for him and coached with him, it's had an impact on me. Is when I became a head coach, or I'm sorry, an assistant coach in college, I had a serious, you know, bout with imposter syndrome. I had never been an assistant coach in college. I had never recruited before. So I was dealing with this, like, I don't know how much I belong. What am I supposed to do here? What do the people do? And it was understanding that I'm going to fail through that. But as long as my mindset is to get my reps in, go through the failure, get told no, you know, strike out on a recruit, make a bad decision in practice with a suggestion and the head coach reminds you of what you really need to do or what you need to focus on. It's those, it's sharpening those tools, the, the little bouts with failure, the, those occurrences throughout my process that I now feel not imposter, but eternally blessed that I get to be part of this rather than I can't believe they're allowing me to or wait till they figure out who I really am. That's all gone because I, I realized that just like playing a game, you, you're going to try your best. You're going to fail a little bit. You're going to get better. You can figure out what works, what doesn't. But the willingness, it's, it's you know him, uh, you know him, Chris. He's one of the toughest guys and he holds you to a standard of toughness. It's the mental toughness that his players and his students, if they really listen to his lessons, it's that that they can take with them. See, that's what I hear so much about. I love that answer so much. Um, but this, this piece of self-belief and almost even uh, a layer of, of self-acceptance to believe in yourself enough or uh, to make it, make it, make a suggestion that might get shot down when it's like, well, no, I believe in this enough, or I believe in myself enough here. I'm not going to die here if I say it and it gets shot down versus what I know I do sometimes. And I did it when I was an assistant coach. It's like, Oh God, well, I, I can't say that. Cause what if it, what if it doesn't happen? What if they say no? What if they think that's a dumb idea? Well, we all have dumb ideas. Sometimes some, some dumb ideas turn into really good ideas. You that's know? such a good point. And Brian, I think the word that you used about suggestion, that's one of my my favorite lessons I've learned. I've been a career assistant. You know, I've really been an assistant coach for a long time. So I know that role. And I, again, believe I will be head coach at some point and I'll get to wear that hat. I'll learn all those lessons. I'll go through that. But I can speak from the mindset of an assistant. We are suggestors and suggestions don't always get implemented. If you tie your self-worth and your value to a suggestion, you might lose that with the coach decides, the head coach decides, like, eh, not going with that right now. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, depending on who you work with, it's rough around the edges, and it does, it hits your ego a little bit. But you're right, when you, when you realize what your role is, it can get you over that element of like, oh, I don't know if he's going to like this. This is a little crazy right now. And that's me. I'm, um, I think that there's a, a term I love to use in my, in my little world. I tell my players it all the time, coaches I work with, my friends. I'm an irrational confidence guy. So I'm going to throw out all the suggestions because the one that hits, I'm going to tell you that was the one I had the whole time. And that, that's, that's what I do. 
Uh, I love that. Well, uh, we know that your your story here is it's it's uh, about a series of greatest games. So let's go ahead and get to your greatest games that may or may not involve some of this uh, theme of failure that you're talking about. So go ahead and take us in the gems here for your greatest games, Coach. Sure. Okay. So it is a stretch of games over the 2019-20 season that I was with Penn State University Abington. And I'm going to, I will say that our season went in thirds. We started out the season six and two going into the holiday break. And I vividly remember, and I don't think that the, our coaches, we joke about this all the time. We, I remember us saying as a staff, we got to be the worst six and two team in the country right now, <laughs> which you can take for that, what you will. We kind of knew that we weren't a finished product. We knew that we were a young team. We had, you know, issues that we needed to work out. Fast forward to January. Fast forward through January because we went O for January. So I don't want to talk about January. That's not the greatest game. We did not win a single game. So we get up to February and where the story starts is right at rock bottom where we played the top of the conference team, another Penn State satellite school, Penn State Harrisburg, and they smacked us by 40 at their place. And we were at the rockest bottom of our season in regards to everything. Terrible loss. We're out of contention for the conference tournament. And you can imagine the locker room. You can imagine the vibe of a team like that. So the coaching staff, I mean, this is kind of where the story starts because what we put together in the next four games from there, to me, is nothing short of greatness. Just what we were able to go from and head to. And it started with a major sea change of mentality, which I would not say was something that we came to the conclusion of really hard nose, like this is what we got to do. But we felt we had a deep team. And one of the major decisions that we made as a staff was to go to a platoon system, five in, five out. First group playing, slow it down, like a, you know, kind of two, two, one zone, back to a zone, half court. Second group, madness. Full court trap, back to a half court trap, just in your face are athletes, whatever. So what that led to over the next three games was us gelling on the floor and putting together record-breaking defensive performances where the game after that rock bottom game, we broke the school record for fewest points allowed by our opponent. And then the following game, we broke that record again, our own record. And then the following game, we broke that record again, our own record yet again. And this was just unbelievable while it was occurring because we knew the context. Everybody in the program knew we, we are not playing for a playoff spot. We're not playing for any of that. But And I'll, I'm sure we'll go into the changes of the system, what really happened that led to this. But it was capped off by our final weekend trip of the season all the way up to central New York. It was like a four and a half, five hour bus ride from where we were in Philly. And we were playing a school in the first uh, leg of that, you know, two game trip um, called Morrisville state. And they were another top school in the conference. They won the conference for each of the years that I had been there. And every time that we had faced them, they were blowing us out prior to that. We had never had good experiences with them. Um, and this three game stretch just put us in a mind state 
of confidence that led to us having the greatest game that I was involved in, in in that program, one of the greatest games I was ever involved in in my life, which was a two-point overtime win on Morrisville State's floor um, that really kind of solidified our, uh, our run that started from rock bottom and led to us having an unbelievable celebration in the Morrisville State locker room. So that's uh, without <laughs> – it's a lot of games, so it's hard to go into the nitty-gritty details, but that is the – the arc of the story of what I would consider the greatest games that I've been involved in. Coach, I'm looking at the stats here and uh, I hate to take you back to the, uh, to the loss that kind of predicated all this, but um, who was it? Penn state Harrisburg. Yeah. Yes. Penn state Harrisburg shot almost 53% from the field. And then did you say only 53%? Yeah, I remember almost, it as almost, 153, <laughs> but you're, you're probably right there. But then you go and hold the team to 34%, 38%, 27%. Yeah. Um, again, talk about that change in mentality on defense, not just the platoon system. Cause I mean, listen, you can platoon, it might not work, mm-hmm. but what was the defensive uh, intensity like that the what what made the guys buy into the defense uh, the intensity on the defensive end of the court that's a great question and I would attribute a ton of it to them kind of just hitting that rock bottom and recovering in a mind state of like we're just gonna go out and hoop right like they they I remember the vibe of them even going into the game prior to any of our brilliant coaching decisions I agree with you it's so hard to attribute you know what that is to that but we I I am just always going to remember that group as incredibly talented incredibly athletic and capable and it took a lot to get them there but what I will also say about that is part of that change and it wasn't just the platooning but it was putting the right pieces together, the correct five on the floor with each other in the right defenses as well. So we had done a little bit of trap. We had done a lot of zone on the season, but we had always mixed both of those groups into everything. And I think that if you use a metaphor, we were just using our ingredients better, the same ingredients, but the, the, you know, the cake just came out better because we, our chemistry was better. And, you know, chemistry and cooking, chemistry and sports and, and personalities and people and relationships. Communication was better with those respective groups because we kind of just whether. Well, now let me take the credit, whatever. We'll, I'm going to take all the credit. I discovered that it was these five that needed to be on the floor. It just happened. It was a little bit of happenstance, to be honest with you, is we we backed ourselves into it. And then we were smart enough to know, don't fix it. It's not broken and it just kept working. But this is the most important thing to me. I will never forget the third game. You're looking at the stats. Third game was Lancaster Bible. Am I correct? All right. Lancaster yeah, Bible. Yeah. Lancaster Bible is a good program. And they had beaten us on their floor earlier that year. Towards the end of that game, we had a timeout and we were looking at the scoreboard and it was one of the seniors on the team. Bobby Olson, I believe, that like just outwardly said to everybody, keep it under, and it was 40 or 50. Like we got to keep them under 50. What was beautiful in that moment to me was they didn't care about 
It wasn't about like playoff contention and that. They internalized the moment. They were focused on the goal that was achievable, but also grand to all of us. And they just collectively came together. And I mean, at that point, as a coaching staff, you can sit down and shut up when it's the dudes in the huddle that are like barking at each other, making sure that they're trying to hold those opponents under 50. I'm going to say a word. We've already done our work and they're the ones that, that carry that out. So it's really credit to them. I want to go deeper on that <laughs> because care to comment on that, Brian. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> That that keeps coming up, Coach. We 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 uh, one of our our recent episodes talking about just that player led huddle, um, and and how coaching's great, but when for for coaches to know when to get the heck out of the way and let co- and let kids do some of the coaching sometimes because yeah. they're ones on the floor and you know just just get out of the way sometimes and so yeah. um you know but but a couple other stats here looking at um that first game of the of the streak you turn uh Penn State Burks over 24 times and then you turn over let's see we go to Wells uh 22 times Lancaster Bible 19 times and Morrisville State 13 times and looking even deeper I'm looking at uh the three point stats these teams actually shot the ball fairly well from three and I'm thinking wait what is going on y'all obviously just brought a ton of energy your kids were all over the floor more than likely were not even letting the ball into the paint any anywhere inside of three they just had to shoot threes and like I said this right here it's just incredible looking at the stat sheet just seeing that just to consistently turn teams over like that that's turning the ball over every other minute I mean that's unbelievable. It, it, it really was. And, and one thing I'll also say is uh, one of the things I thought about with the platoon system and even by game two, game three of that run there, it's difficult to scout against, especially at that point in the season. So as an assistant where, you know, you're, you're tasked with the scout. So let's say we'll, we'll take the Burks game, for example. They had no idea what we were about to do. If you're scouting us from the Harrisburg game before that, you're assuming a lot. You're going off of what you see. And then we come in and we're just a totally different basketball team. And again, it's the players, but I know that a little bit of a, a little bit of our success just quickly. And what's difficult to adapt to is if you're preparing for practice, how much time are you spending on your stuff? How much time are you spending on our zone? How much time are you spending on our full court traps and our half court traps? You got about two hours to work with. You're only going 90 minutes by that point in the season live action. So I do think that there is a chess game element to it that came into play. Um, And yet again, I'll just go with, I swear that's what we were capable of. I swear that that was just the apex, the glowing example of like, guys, this is what we should have been doing to teams, you know, during January when we had our issues. Coach Dodo, when I was at Cresco, would always be like, you have to go scout him again. I said, Coach, Jay Mahoney's not going to run a different – he's running the same plays he ran when you played against him, all right? Coach Mahoney's not changing. But, yes, I hear what you're saying about rescouting a team. That is so very true. Coach, the Morrisville game, the one that you said tops it off, you go and beat Morrisville, a team you guys hadn't beaten in years. I was going through the play-by-play here. You didn't lead until the 435 mark of the second half. That's correct. correct. <laughs> you guys are losing the whole game. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. oh, just another loss at Morrisville. That's exactly what it felt like. Well, let me let me actually take that back a little bit. 
typically another loss at Morrisville is I'm looking at the score and I'm like, I didn't know the numbers go that high. This one was always a little close. This one, we were in it. And the way our guys were playing, and we had been coming off of that three-game stretch, the shots that we were making, I'm like, man, those are the ones that we like. And the ones that we were missing, I'm like, but that's still right. We're, we're good. We're, we're, we're probably fine here. So I knew that it would be at least competitive. But what ca- – I mean, the game went into overtime on a coast-to-coast layup from our sophomore guard, Alex Salata third, who just made an incredible basketball play that just took such guts to do. Dropped it in right as the buzzer goes off. I was jumping around like a maniac. And then – uh, if I remember correctly, it was a whopping overtime score of like four to two or something like that. It was a de- it, it was just a gut it out defensive game. Yeah, but the the second half. Again, statistics, your biggest lead of the entire game was 71-69. And you led for two seconds with that score by three points. I love it. It's all you need, right? <laughs> it's all you need, it's right? It's all you need. <laughs> Oh, that is awesome. That sounds like such a such an amazing thing. I just love the fact that it came when the, the playoffs were out of the question. But that says a lot about those kids' character and, like you said, what they're capable of. And so now they know for the rest of their life when someone says, you're capable of this, and they're, they're not there, that failure that you're talking about. But they know that if they reach deep down, they are capable of something great. Absolutely. They now have reference in their life like I was able to get from my taking advantage of my opportunity to make a college team I use that moment as a well I was able to and it's those little things that you can boost yourself with and the beauty of accomplishing it as a group because group dynamics is also difficult to work through so now these are individuals that will go and become career in whatever they choose to be They'll become fathers and they'll become husbands and they'll be able to operate in communal context with achievements in their lives that they can always point to as understanding. And it's, again, not a championship. Right. Even in telling the story, like you could you could get just as excited about like, that's incredible. I was still losing my mind on that bench at Marsville because they could have just laid down. And I would have understood it. I totally would have understood if just late in the second half, Marsville makes a run and, ah, oh, good run, guys, good season. But it, it just wasn't the case. The, the fight is, well, it also showed me as a coach, like, you don't, it's not like you qualify the season as making the playoffs if you really want to have an impact on the people that you're coaching. You don't change your habits. You don't change your approach just because the common goal of the team wasn't reached. You continue to chip away at the block and you continue mm-hmm. to teach the lessons that you know are true. That's, that's so uh, on point coach. And, and what we love about this podcast is getting those lessons from all these different coaches. So we like to end, we usually end on this one question. I'm going to change it up a little bit for you. Uh, what's one word or phrase you would like people to associate with your name? Genuine. Because I just, especially when it comes to this context, if we're talking, I mean, we're, we've been talking hoops this whole time and I come from the camp of Mahoney to start, right? We've talked about that and he does not mince his words, never has, never will. And I try, I've tried my best 
both as a player and as a coach in all of my time to be entirely genuine with everything, with my effort, with my intentions, with my communication, and with to sum it all up with my relationship with the game. It really is the theme of everything. If I stay genuine and I stay true to what my habits are, what my messages are, and I practice what I preach, then I want people to consider me to be very genuine. I mean, coach, what else is there, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to, for me personally, to be able to have conversations like this with, with guys like you uh, around the game of basketball, but basketball to me is just the, it's just the backdrop. It's just the content. Um, but what we're talking about is, as, as Chris has mentioned, it's, it's, it's life stuff. And as you're talking about just being true, uh, teaching what you believe is true, and, and, and letting it go and doing it and doing it again over and over and over again, uh, for every kid that comes through your program. And, um, I know you're doing great things up there at the college in New Jersey, and you're going to go on and do, uh, continually amazing things wherever you go from there. Um, and, uh, it's just been, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. It's been, it's been awesome. Likewise, I appreciate it. And, and you know, like we talked about, I want to be a serial podcast guest. So <laughs> I got more games in my future, which means there might be more greatest games. <laughs> So yeah. Let me know if you need me back. I'll just I'll look at the schedules again. Well, we we know where to find you, and uh, you know we 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 have a we're 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 fortunate we have a successful podcast. And I we didn't talk about this uh, pre-show or anything like that, but uh, there have been a couple of guests that we've had on that I said, man, that, they'd be a great podcast host. I'm gonna throw it out out there, out there to you. I think you'd be a great podcast host maybe <laughs> one day. Uh, never decided to. Uh, take a far away, a far away into that. I can't say that word, but whatever. I'm a podcast host. I can't talk. Anyway, Foray into it. Thank you. Yeah, I still can't say usury. We'll edit that part out. Just <laughs> but uh, we'll we'll go ahead and wrap this up before I mispronounce another uh, another word. But uh, but again, it's been great to have you. But for my co-host Chris De Blasio, I'm Brian Lewisfield, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Greatest Games. <laughs>